Thanks for joining me on the TronCast with Tron Jordheim. It is my pleasure to have you here. I have a lot of fun doing these podcasts because I get to talk to a lot of interesting people. You know a lot of interesting people too, I bet. I know I sure do, and sometimes I just have no idea about some of the interesting things they're up to until I pin them down and talk to them. Sometimes it's folks I've been acquainted with for a long time even. And then I get to make some new friends from all around the planet, hearing about interesting projects and businesses and things that people are doing. So I hope you enjoy it as well. Uh, There are a few commercial messages in here because, you know, got to get paid. So enjoy and thanks for joining me on the TronCast and tell your friends to download it and check it out too. Thank you. You know, I am fine. And um, I, I do these all the time. And although there was nothing in particular I could prepare for, I love speaking with people and learning about new people, too. And I already picked up something, two things we have in common. In addition to liking to meet interesting people, you attended Brooklyn Law School yeah, in 1984. I did. Well, I am. funny. I'm from New Jersey, even though we've been living in Florida for ages. And I attended Seton Hall Law School in the early 80s and escaped because that was my whole backstory. (laughs) I never wanted to be a lawyer, but my family insisted it. And as I was looking for colleges or law schools to apply to, I remember seeing Brooklyn Law School because back in those days, there weren't as many law schools and there were as many people going. So I thought, how about that? Even though you live, what, in the middle of the country and I'm in Florida, we're both from New York Metro. It is a small world, I tell you. It's a small world. Uh, so great. So what, what are the couple things you want to cover today? Oh, you know, you probably have a little bit about my bio. You know, I am the um, self-made ambassador of happiness. Yes. I travel internationally. I have my own blog. I have a training program. Basically, I do what I do as a passion project. It started with me when I was a small child looking at airplanes flying into um, New York Airport. I wanted to travel the world, make new friends, and I wanted to write and share really good ideas. And I was so taken up with President Kennedy and the Kennedy White House, and I never lost any of that. So even leaving law school, I have a political science degree. I took so much of my background and I just projected out into the world. And I'm good to talk about happiness, self-leadership, attitude, state of mind, state of being, some of the recent um, blogs I've written, things going on in, um, in the news, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and how we could see it from a different perspective. So anything, you know, I think yeah. I'm good. Well, I, I love that, uh, that happiness has an ambassador because happiness needs ambassadors. So. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> so... Uh, How does one go about being an ambassador for happiness? Because uh, I think sometimes happiness gets a bum rap and, and doesn't get the respect it deserves. You know what? It's very true. I actually was quite unhappy as a young child because I was not allowed to do the things I wanted to do or be what I wanted to be. And so I had to make several decisions as a young child to change the way I viewed my life 
and I made a resolve to grow up happy and free. Well, you say like, what, what does that mean? How, what does that look like? Well, and, um, yeah, right. And so for, for you, happiness was your uh, teenage rebellion. <laughs> you, know, you know, you would think, and yet it I was stuck one of those with kids. You, huh? I was one of those kids, actually, who did everything I was told. I was a political science major at Boston College. I even got an internship with Senator Ted Kennedy, was offered a full-time job there. I did relatively well in, in uh, law school, but I, it was so not me. And I was more of a creative, and I was more outside the box, rather than viewing a life of 40 years as a practicing attorney in New York and New Jersey. And so... In my case, it was a couple of decades later after I had a corporate leadership career and raised a child and homeschooled her and, and helped my husband build a business. I thought, you know what? If I don't do the things I'm interested in, I'm never going to, nobody's going to do it for me. So I started stepping out and doing YouTube videos to ask people reflective questions, even as I was sort of stepping out of my own box. Then I started writing blogs about what it is that makes us happy from the inside out. And back in the day, a lot of new bloggers that were emerging on the scene kept saying, well, who's your demo? And I said, I guess it's anyone who wants to live a happy and authentic life uh, uh, rather than one that has been already contrived and planned for them. And I know that there were several who kind of, you know, looked at me behind my back right. and thought, yeah, okay. sure, Maura. And you know find what? A lane, I ended find up, a lane. Right. <laughs> but you know what happened? This, I had to be true to myself because a lot of bloggers were writing things like top 10 worst fashion mistakes or who's got okay. too much Botox or what, what Hollywood person just got a messy divorce. And I couldn't write that way. But oddly enough, or maybe not so much, I was invited by Huffington Post to be one of their regular contributors. Nice. So apparently they wanted happiness. Apparently they were into it, right? <laughs> yeah, at least back then they were. I don't know. Now they don't have the same uh, grouping yeah. of contributors as they used to. They discontinued that process. But the turning point for me came when I was invited to speak at the inaugural Nelson Mandela Day celebrations right outside the nation's capital. And I thought, oh, my gosh, wow. I was made for this. And uh, wow. I had several dignitaries there and yeah. I had no title. And the director said to me, well, what is your title? I said, I don't have one. I represent myself. I, I write about happiness. I travel the world. And they said, we have a title. We're going to name you the ambassador of happiness. <laughs> nice. And I thought it fits. And all of my friends, anybody that knew what I wrote, anybody that followed me said, Maura, we always thought you were an ambassador to the world. But you are that very thing. And then someone very clever from the New York City metro area discovered me through LinkedIn. And he ran, uh, probably still does, uh, a very active uh, interview show out west, uh, radio show. Right. And he said to me, Maura, I've interviewed so many famous people, but I've never interviewed the ambassador of happiness. <laughs> and because he used to work for a marketeer in New York City, he said to me after the interview was over, I hope you're going to trademark, or I hope you did trademark the title. I said, well, why? He said, Maura, you got to think smart, because if you don't trademark it, somebody else will. Right. And the, I, so I ended up doing it, but here's the wonderful thing I feel about that. 
following that process, I started speaking overseas and I had more and more opportunities. And oftentimes, Tron, I'd be invited into areas of the world that had been formerly war-torn, where people for hundreds and sometimes thousands of years didn't get along and they needed what it was that I was bringing. So I've been invited and interviewed and featured on TV news as well as print as the ambassador of happiness from the United States, where they're thinking, we need this here. And I thought, how wonderful is it that what was in my heart and the visions that I had as a small person, a child, for a better, happier, more harmonized world, I actually have created opportunities to speak now. So there you go. Right. So as an ambassador for happiness, how do you handle the skeptical people who go, oh, pish posh, happiness, that's, that's some nonsense, you know, that's, that's people who drink too much caffeine and, you know, that's nonsense, right? So sometimes an ambassador walks into a negotiation where, you know, they're not the most welcome person in the room. So, so how do you start that negotiation on behalf of happiness when you're in that position? You know, that is an excellent point because think about it, happiness. Doesn't it sound like it's very light as if here I am as a female, I probably walk around in pink and throw around pink petals, right? Flower petals. It sounds light. It sounds almost, uh, oh, it just sounds like something that's not serious or something that has no weight to it. And I will tell you, I have spoken at MBA leadership programs in Europe. I have spoken in front of some very skeptical audiences. But the interesting thing people have told me, and I've seen it happen, is that after I speak, there's a complete change of attitude because I may have the title Ambassador of Happiness, but people know when I get on a stage, when I start to speak, when I share pictures, when I ask questions, when I tell stories, they know it's very evident that everything I speak on, I have lived through and that I'm nothing like a lightweight, but I am highly tested. And the, the probably one of the biggest changes I remember, although I know there have been several, is I had spoken at an international Model UN summer camp uh, at a university here in the United States one summer. Nice. They had students from 27 countries. Now, this is all that I love. How can nice. I get as many people in a room and change their thoughts? Right. And I could remember... Some, especially the guys looking at me sneering like, yeah, who the heck does she think she is? <laughs> right. And yet I got finished and they'd come up to me, shake my hand, wanted to talk with me, ask me questions, but more, what about this? And what do you think about this? And I love it because the things I talk about, Tron, the questions I ask, I don't look so much to change people's minds, but I invite them to look within and connect with the things they already know is truth. We live in a world that is so filled with lies, it's ridiculous. And when I tell people to sit back and I ask them a few questions and I give them opportunities to engage with me, what happens is that they realize they already know the truth, how we could be a better person, how we could be a better society, how we can interact with one another in ways that are constructive rather than destructive and uplifting and empowering rather than destructive and disempowering. So it's it's, it's fun for me. It could be challenging at times, but I love it. I love it. And I think I was designed for it. Well, and it's got to be gratifying, especially when you're talking to audiences who maybe 
have very little firsthand experience with happiness and maybe read about it in a book or something. And, yes. uh, or, or maybe they're from a part of the world or from a part of, of any culture where uh, there has not been a lot of happiness. And, and uh, then where do you go from there? So if you're saying that that spark is in people somewhere and they already understand mm-hmm. that, how do you get started with that? That seems like a challenge. It does, but you have to remember, I have been at this most of my life because things and principles, let's say, and practices that I had to personally learn throughout the decades of my own life when I felt challenged, when I felt victimized, when I felt like um, that I was pigeonholed somewhere Mm -hmm. or limited, I had to learn how to change my own perspective. And it takes a lot of practice. And so when I share what I'm sharing, Number one, I'm speaking the truth and I'm speaking it out of experience and I know that it works, not that it's always easy, but the point being is when I come into the presence of other people, they know that I'm speaking the truth and something within them is reminded, even let's say if they've been in a very disappointing, discouraging, uh, even corrupt you know, country yeah. where they don't have much in the way of uh, opportunities. What I help people do is reignite the truth and the hope that lives within them. So, you know, think about this. Whenever you've met someone who's done something, doesn't it, or you've watched a movie or read a book about someone who overcame a challenge and was able to do something that they wanted to do, don't you feel empowered and don't you relate to some of the elements to say, well, wait a minute, that just gave me the hope that I used to have, but I lost And that's my aim, to remind people of the truth, to know that everyone at some level or another is a person of influence. Everyone can choose to be a beneficiary in this world rather than a victim. Everyone can choose to live in a state of happiness rather than a state of victimhood, hatred, chip on the shoulder. I mean, everybody's been there at some point or another. And then you realize if that is your regular state of affairs as a thought process, you're going to end up experiencing what you always think about. And um, I share a lot of this in my blogs. I've got books that kind Mm -hmm. of mimic this and people know it. And then here's the other thing too. I've, you know, I've been to many places where people would say to me, Maura, I've never been to this place before, but I saw you were going to be here and I wanted to come and you gave me the right encouragement and words and stories that I needed at just the right time. Uh So there may be people that don't want to come, but I'll tell you, it's been very surprising to me. I'll tell you a couple of weeks ago, I was in Tunisia. And I was speaking at a women economic forum in Tunis, their uh, capital city. I'm sure it's a beautiful place. I loved it. It's right on the Mediterranean Sea. I loved it. And I'd never been to that country. But I had also been invited to speak about three hours away at um, another university or a university, I should say. Well, I was expecting maybe 20, 30 students would show up. I arrived on that campus and As I was walking around the campus, everybody there must have known I was the American. And and the students are saying to me, oh, you are the ambassador of happiness. We're here to see you. (laughs) I stepped in and the entire amphitheater was filled up and had standing room only. And there were people that I've been in touch with ever since because 
people around the world are looking for something better. They want something better. They need new ways to think. They need new paradigms. And what I introduce, it's really what everyone knows instinctively, intrinsically, even if the world that we live in, the society that we exist in, gives us negative messages that says, better take care of yourself, better put yourself first and knock everybody else down because there's not enough. And, And I just introduce some other concepts and people find it helpful. I bet. And, and w- what you said uh, struck a note uh, about how when you see someone overcoming something, it speaks to you. I-, I think there's something deep in our instinct or in our human nature where when we see someone doing something that works or someone struggling with something and then they have some success with it, uh, it really moves us. And maybe this comes from, you know, when we used to chip rocks to make arrows, when you'd see someone break arrow after arrow after arrow and just be frustrated and then they get one right and they're happy about it. Uh, it it's some, there, there must be something from way back in our roots that, that uh, helps us celebrate that with people and then gives us the, the gumption or whatever you call it to keep chipping on our little arrows until we get one right. I I think you're right. I think there's something visceral or whatever you want to call it about that. That, You know, that's a good word, visceral. And the other thing, too, there is something within us that we understand who our brother is. Our brother is really everybody and anybody. And when our brother does well, it's another element of us or brother, sister, whatever. That's how I always saw people. And I'll tell you, I had to navigate my own life, you know, through university, through uh, a decade in corporate America. I was working in one of the most competitive industries in sales management and always did things the way in which I envisioned them from within. And we were successful. It's not always the quick route to success, but it's a powerful and a very enduring way and ultimately a happy way because if you're not manipulating, if you're not taking advantage of your fellow brother and you're treating people well with respect, there's a payback that comes in terms of your reputation, your confidence, your credibility, your influence. And I think with all of that that I've been through, there's a lot of life lessons and a lot of life stories. I don't want to say that I'm ever preaching to anyone. I never do that, which I think is one reason why people appreciate me. I invite people to find and discover and remember their own truth, that my brother is another piece of me. And so if I really want to live in a better world, then I need to start being part of that better world myself. And the other thing too... I would say there's a lot in my conversation that invites people to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps because we've all been in places where we're challenged, where we feel like we can't do something or um, we need to pick ourselves up. But it's that process that literally makes us strong and it turns us into our better version of self. Right. Well, as, as someone in sales management, I'm sure you had a period of time when you struggled with call reluctance or whatever it was called, oh, right? Where, of course. You know, where you help people get to the point where they say, I don't feel like making the next call, but I'm going to make it anyway. And then, you know, they get a friendly voice and go, well, that's why I made that call. And then they make the next one. Well, you know, that's, that's an interesting point. Very true. And, you know, I'll even say this. 
I was probably a far better manager of salespeople than I was a salesperson, although I had very good sales numbers because I would never sell anybody anything unless it was really good for them. And I couldn't. I remember one guy saying to me years ago, Maura, stop talking because you're going to talk yourself out of a sale. I already (laughs) want it. And I said, well, I want to make sure you really, you know, that you're really happy with this. But the thing I I would say that I learned um, and I incorporate a lot of these theories um, today and all I speak about is in the decade of corporate leadership that I was in, I remember developing a culture of happiness, respect, levity, inclusion. Um, Everybody in our office was made into a star in their own right. And they also carry themselves with a great deal of personal respect and professionalism. And so we never sold against anybody else. We sold what we had and we offered great services and people responded to that. So we had a lot of people that were with us for a long time in Mm -hmm. what I was doing, but then we also had very loyal customers. And so I think there's a, you know, Think about this today, and I know your show talks to so many different people from so many different backgrounds. How many people are getting very tired these days of transactional business, meaning they look at everybody out there with a dollar sign over their head. How much are you worth to me? And if you're not worth anything, I'm just going to pass you up and go to the next guy. That form of business has been around for a long time, but more and more it is changing in society. The dynamics are changing and people want to do business more and more with those that they trust, that they have a certain confidence in, that they know they like at some level. We used to hear that they'll do business with those they know, like, and trust. Sure. But more than ever, people, it's almost like the veil is coming down and people are seeing the fakery. (laughs) I really do think that. Oh, yeah. And so that's, I think that's, that's why right. I said, yeah. So you have to really think more long-term than let me just take advantage of you because you have to be careful tomorrow. You take advantage of someone else and you do them wrong tomorrow. That could come back to bite you. And we're living in that kind of an era. So we're actually wanting something better, but we're being forced into a better society. You could call it because of, you know, social media, because nothing's private, because every text you write can get copied and pasted. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, and uh, I think we've, we're kind of moving through a phase of our uh, consumerism where we're, we're about to become more personal. Uh, we, we've gone through a long phase of automation and, and uh, super slick technology and big data and conversion science, and that has really boosted business because it's helped people understand you know, what are the triggers to buying? What are the paths to buying and all this sort of thing. But what they've, I think, come too far away from is the people side. And so the people who are clever enough to use their technology to empower the people side of things, in my mind, they're doing very well. Now, of course, I also have a a deep-seated bias about that because I think it's always comes down to the people side so maybe it's just my bias seeing what I want, but, uh, but I think we're getting to that point. So, and there is a certain amount of happiness in dealing with uh, a business that has the people side right. So, it, oh. it, you know, it keeps, it keeps feeding the kind of things you're talking about, doesn't it? 
you know, Tron, you, you're saying that you have a bias. I have to join you in the bias. And I will, I'll give you a couple of examples. The last time, last two times, I was up at the Newark, New Jersey airport. I thought I was buying lunch or something. And I thought, where are the people? I had a question. And there was not one real live person I could ask about a certain kind of food I was looking for. You know what I realized? And it was shocking to me. Every time you wanted to buy something, you had to go to a computer somewhere and tap it in. Now, that may be presumably more efficient, but guess how that felt for me? It felt terrible. I've been to McDonald's when I've been out, and they'll, they actually, the last time I was at McDonald's, this was months and months ago, they had a young man showing me how to punch in what I wanted at McDonald's on, again, one of those uh, punch screens. And I said to him, are you happy doing this? I said, are you happy that McDonald's is going to replace you and all of your friends here with a, with a computer screen? And this happens over and over and over again. Even if I go to places like Target, I mean, this sure. is the everyday world I live in. Sure. How often will they say, oh, you know, we've got automatic checkout. And you know what my answer is? I came here to meet people. <laughs> now, there, granted, <laughs> there are other people who don't like people. I happen to like people and connecting for me with people, whether it be somebody in a city, somebody at the grocery store, somebody in a foreign country, somebody presumably important or unimportant by society's um, you know, estimations. I don't care. I need human contact. And so for me, yes, I can see there's a lot of efficiencies um, that are now built into the system. I can travel abroad and I could create you know, videos, I could release blogs, I could do so many things, but there's nothing that I hope will ever replace the human to human contact. And I'm telling you, the more we lose it, the more unhappy I sense and the more isolated and the more unfed we become as human beings. Our soul needs to feel human connection. And um, well, there's my bias. There you yeah. go, Tron. Well, I think, I think you're right. And, and one of the reasons I do this podcast is because I've, I've always realized I know a lot of interesting people, but I don't always spend a lot of time talking to them some of them are my you know not not at the grocery store friends and so i i started this to pin a couple of those folks down and actually have them talk to me because i knew they were doing all kinds of interesting things but didn't really get a chance to talk to them about it a lot and now to be able to make new friends from all over the place like the ambassador of happiness for <laughs> instance uh is is really fun so, you know, to, to keep kind of spreading the people side around is, I think it makes sense. You know what? That's a really good point. And there you have the wisdom of using modern day technology in order to connect with people. You know, just um, maybe it was a week ago, I had two separate Skype calls, one with a woman from uh I don't know whether she was from Nigeria. She's an attorney now living in Paris. She, I was supposed to meet with her in uh Tunisia. We never connected. She couldn't get there. So we ended up having a Skype call. Now, you know, it was incredible. Immediately, the two of us were able to connect and we were able to look at each other and we were right in the moment. And we managed to share elements of our lives. We might have had completely different upbringings, but yet we connected in ways that 
had it been prior to social media and all the modern day technology, we would have never met. And I've done this with so many people in so many countries around the world from so many backgrounds. I have to tell you, I love it. I sometimes tell people that being the ambassador of happiness is the cover job for doing what I really love. And that is connecting with other people. All right. Right? It's the same thing. So we use the technology, but the people stay on top and the people become the focus. The technology becomes the process to get there rather than putting technology or business or money and numbers over people. And I think that that's something else that we're all getting ready to shift around in. Because people, when they feel like they are just reduced under money or under numbers of you got to produce, you got to do this, end up delivering less of their lives to the process than when they know they're valued and valuable valuable to an organization or a goal. Well, and uh, you talked about efficiency earlier. and, And one of the conflicts that I always found myself in and still sometimes find myself in with uh, folks I do business with or do business for or or whatever is the conflict between efficiency and effectiveness because you you drive efficiency too hard you lose your effectiveness and if you uh, you know are are focusing on effectiveness with a an organization that doesn't quite have it all together yet it looks very inefficient for a period of time so it's uh, it's a it's an interesting conflict. You know, I agree with you, and this is probably another piece about how, uh, and I speak about this frequently, because everyone has different skill sets. There are some people that are highly technical. They may have a real engineering, uh, logical mind. There are some people who are visionaries. There are some people who are communicators. There are some people that are really good with their hands in practical ways. And when you think about having to create something, or having to put together a mission, a corporation, a goal, a project. You know, really, you need a variety of skill sets. And that's something I always loved. I loved it when I was in corporate life. I still love it now and several things I involve myself with. I love teaming with other people whose skills are different from mine. But when we put them together, we become so much greater because we could create something new and every piece of the puzzle gets filled in by people being able to contribute their talents and skills. I think it's great. And to me, that makes me happy. I love seeing people use and, um, and really what's the right word for it. Promote their best. I think we have so many new things we can create and develop and, Every aspect, when people learn how to work together and work together well, rather than, you remember the old, still used in many ways, the old pyramid, the top guy looks down at everybody and really puts down the pressure and it's all about, I know everything and you know nothing. I take everything and you lose everything. I see everything really as 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 a kaleidoscope of different colors of people bringing their talents into a picture. And depending on what the needs are, depending on what the callings are, depending on what the challenges are, several people come forward in that, in that time frame, And then they can step back and later on take, you know, chair number two because somebody else's skill set is needed. And when you could do that, everyone benefits. Everyone learns. Everyone gains individually and as a, as a group. And the energy and the creativity and the uplift – 
is so much greater. And I say this because I lived through it for 10 years. And now, funny, after after my corporate life, um, Harvard, I learned, did a seven-year study, an empirical study. And they decided that when people feel happy, they can do up to 50% better in whatever they engage in. And I thought, I learned that intuitively and day by day in my own course of life as a manager in corporate life because people like feeling valued. They like to know they can contribute and they don't like to feel used. And when they do have that good feeling, they give even more to the picture and more to the project. I think you're spot on. So, so I can't get away from myself. Well, (laughs) there you go. That's everyone's conundrum, right? (laughs) So how do people find you and uh, look at some of your videos, find out where you're going to be next, uh, read some of your writings? Where, Where do you want them to go to find you? Easiest place to go is Command Central. They could go to my website and it's my name, uh, Maura, M is in Mary, A-U-R-A, followed by the number four and the letter U. So Maura4U.com. And they can subscribe to my blogs. They can order my books. They could subscribe to my podcast if they like to listen to shows like yours. Um, They can also find out about my, um, they can hire me or engage me as a speaker or workshop leader. They can find an e-course. They could write letters to me and they could find access to my YouTube videos. Everything moreforyou.com. And if they are a listener, they can look for more Sweeney living happy inside out as my podcasts Wonderful. and they can go to iTunes directly or wherever. Wonderful. Well, it's been so fun talking to you about happiness and uh, it's made me feel happy to have this conversation. So it's, it's all good. It's going around. I, I so appreciate you taking the time and I'll go to Mora for you.com and make sure to put in my subscription. So Thank you so much for taking the time with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, Tron, and thank you so much. Glad to have met another friend from the New York metro area who also left law school. There you go. (laughs) Take care. Take care. (laughs) Bye-bye. What do you do for sales training? when sales training is so frustrating and seems so counterproductive sometimes, right? Because the people getting trained are sometimes resistant or sometimes they've been through so many training courses where they just tune out everything you say and you sound like the teacher in Charlie Brown. Sometimes the people doing the training are so frustrated because they come up with some really good material and go out in the field and prove some really good phraseology and techniques and approaches. And then when they try to train it, sometimes it doesn't work in reality the way it it worked for them or it doesn't work for the particular people doing it or the folks who get the training just don't feel like putting in the time to perfect it. It's really frustrating for the trainers. It's also really frustrating for the higher-ups, for the big bosses, because they invest in training and they invest in training materials. And sometimes the numbers don't move, and so they wonder, well, why are we doing this? What's the point? So I've come up with a couple different approaches for sales training that maybe are helpful. One idea is to make it a self-driven process 
where the salesperson is on their own sales journey, their quest for sales proficiency, their quest to be their own sales hero. So if you want to check that out, go to SolvingSales.com. That's all about my self-driven sales journeys program and you can subscribe to that for I think right now it's five dollars a month I'm making it super easy so people can get in there and start creating their own journey to sales mastery solvingsales.com solvingsales.com thank you